0: Father, this morning we just come to you in the name of Jesus. We lift your name. Every sickness has a name. And whatever sickness is afflicting the body of Christ. And if it is something which doesn't have a name, because it cannot be diagnosed, but Father, we lift the name of Jesus. The name above every other name. And we rebuke the sickness in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And we exalt and we magnify your word above everything else. And according to your word, we release and we receive your healing. For your word says, I send forth my word and healed you of your infirmities. Wherever your people are today, I pray, Lord, they will receive the healing. Because your word says, wherever the word of God is preached... The power of God was there, present, to heal them. We receive it, Father, by faith. And we continue to stand and continue to proclaim how great and how good our God is. We thank you, we praise you in our weakness, Lord. So many are weak, for the sickness makes the body weak. But, Father, when we are weak, we lean on to your strength. And we realize your strength is not just sufficient, it's more than enough for us, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We come at this time into thy hands. And all who are listening into thy hands. Speak to us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Today is the twenty seventh of March. Special because Passover begins this evening. Okay. Passover begins. It's Romba Passover. The first day and the last day are the important days. In between, of course, there are seven days. And today is today evening. Actually not ours, but if you go by the Jewish system there evening. But it's important because Jesus is not that we are observing a Jewish festival, because it is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And all our blessings come from that Passover lamb that was offered on the cross. We were looking at First Thessalonians chapter one and verse three and we looked at an application of it last two Saturdays in the life of a woman, unnamed woman. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. The three important things, faith, love, and hope. And we saw this Shunammite woman. She's not named, an unnamed woman, because it can be, anybody can become that person, or any church. And when she's introduced to us, she's called a great woman, a notable woman. She's great in the eyes of the world, in her community. She's got reputation. She's well-to-do. She's renowned. But at the end of the story, we will see that she also becomes great in the eyes of God. Above all, because she had perception. She could perceive or discern the holy from the others. And that's where it all began. She pursued this man is holy. Okay, And that's where it all begins. And uh, unlike her, so many people are often content for the word of God to pass them by regularly. But they do not grab the word of God and bring it into their world. And that's what she did. She was not content, the voice of God, because remember Elisha represents in that context, everybody has scripture or the law is there in the community, but he is Rima. You have to understand the difference between Logos, the written word of God, and Rima, the living word of God, the spoken living word of God. The written word of God is there. It's very important. God has magnified it. It cannot be broken. But what brings life is when the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the written or he speaks to us. That's the key. And e- Elisha was that. And what this woman did was she made room for the living word of God in our house. And that's how everything starts changing. So if you go to first Kings chapter four and verse ten, <coughs> we'll get into that soon, but just keeping oh, Kings, not first Kings, Second Kings. Second Kings four ten. This is how she makes room. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. Let us put a bed for him there, a table, a chair, and a lampstand. So it will be. Whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Okay? She goes the further step. Elisha was very comfortable. He knew if you come out, and she has no need. Ramba, she's not doing it to get anything out of the prophet or anything, but she is going out of her way to build and abode for the prophet or the prophetic, and that's what we are looking at. But before we go there because there's a divine order scripture you need to understand everything like if you look at um, the tabernacle tabernacle there are 50 chapters devoted to the tabernacle in the bible 50 chapters if you look at exodus deuteronomy leviticus and numbers and hebrews 50 chapters exclusively Devoted to the tabernacle. Why? And yet people never study the tabernacle. Most people don't study at all. It is very important in God's sight. So everything in the word of God is important. So when we look at this, even the order is important. It says the bed, table, a chair, and a lampstand. And if you look at the word over there, lampstand, if my understanding is right, this is the only time a lampstand is mentioned outside the temple, the entire Bible the only place where a lampstand is mentioned in somebody's house outside the temple. Okay, So it is important. Okay, So there is a divine order over there, meaning how do you make space for the living presence of God? And how do you furnish that place for God to, to, to be comfortable in that place? Because you're not furnishing for man, you're furnishing it for God. What is that God looks for? But before we come to that, there is something else which I want to look at this, because we need to know that this woman is rich. Okay, She's a well-to-do woman. She's a rich woman. And if we know our Bible, the Bible does not speak very kindly to the rich. Everybody wants to be rich, and everybody in the church also wants to be rich. Though God himself is rich. He's the richest because he owns everything. It does not speak very kindly to the rich. If you look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 53. Okay. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Okay. Mark 10, <clears throat> verse 23 to 25. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. He explains it further. Who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Okay? So it is not easy. Okay? We may think God is against rich people. No. He's not into any class warfare like socialists, okay? He's not into anything like that. He's not. In Matthew 13 and verse 27. God tells us the reason, what happens. Okay. okay, no, not 27, 30, uh, 13 of the deceitful of riches. One second, one second. Yeah, got it? 22, 22, 13, 22, not 27. Yeah. <laughs> now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. There is something connected with riches. Riches can deceive us. Okay? This riches cannot. It is easier for a rich man to be deceived than a poor man to be deceived. It is easier for the poor to receive the gospel than for the rich to receive the gospel. Okay? So God says those who put their trust in riches. And there is a deceitfulness connected with the riches. Okay? So the question is, how does riches deceive a person? It deceives them into a sense of a feeling of being self-sufficient, independent of God. This was the sin of Satan. Remember how he was created? Okay, how he was created, and that was this. And that is what he put into Adam and Eve, a sense of independence from God. People who are rich in positions usually do not feel they need to depend on God for their future. So they are not very particular about obeying Him. Their obedience is selective. Selective. A simple question you have to ask us today, simple question, simple ask us, you know, is that would we do the things we do if we did not have money? And suddenly you realize lot of things in life we would not do if we did not have money. Okay. Would we do the things if we did not have money? So was money a, did it become a blessing for us? Or is it, no? It actually does. It actually does. Why is this Sunamite woman, woman important is in her we see how this is reconciled. How you can be rich and yet Devote your life to God. Okay? We have to reconcile. That's why she's not just great in riches. She'll also become great in faith. Okay? We look at it. So the problem is, (coughs) rich people are not very particular in obeying God in all things. People who are rich in talent usually do not depend on God to work in them or through them because they are self-confident. Let's say, take two people in the worship team. One person is not very talented. One person is born with that talent, and you'll always notice, unless that person is really surrendered, is that the one who is not talented practices more because she knows, Lord, I need, I need you, I need you. I am weak. I need you, Lord. Prays more, maybe fast, prepares. While well, the other one is very confident on his talent or her talent, not dependent. You know, this is what happens when we are rich in anything. Anything. Okay. This is what it happens. Okay. Those who are rich in good works rarely come and throw themselves at God's mercy. Because they are very confident about their good works. They don't think they need mercy. But remember, this riches in anything is just an illusion. And fall. This is the deceitfulness of riches. In Revelation 3 and verse 17, the deceitfulness, how it deceives you. It deceives you because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have no need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. What happened over there? That riches deceived this church from its real state. So there is no room for repentance because you don't even know that you need to repent and cry out to God for mercy. And you're at the verge of being thrown out of the kingdom of God, from the mouth of God, where you will no no longer be a voice of God in this world. Okay, Spear you out of your mouth means this church will have no voice in God's purpose and plan. But how did this happen? Because they were deceived by their riches. They were rich and they got deceived by it. The problem is not in riches, but if you put your trust in riches, you will get deceived. Okay, Look at Isaiah 64 and verse 6, if I'm right. We are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, what is this? Good works. All our good works are like filthy rags, but you know what? You're deceived by it. Deceived by it. Our good works can deceive us. And you know what? We block ourselves to the gospel, which demands mercy. Demands mercy. Okay, What is the gospel? Falling at the feet of God, saying that, Lord, I am an unclean thing. I need mercy, mercy, mercy. But the riches of good works will deceive us. Will deceive us. Okay. Please note, it is not our sin that keeps us from heaven. But, our false sense of righteousness this is a deception of riches in First Timothy chapter six and verse seventeen come command those who are rich in this present age, not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches. don't put your trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Who gives us richly? But don't put it, he will give you richly. Because he's a rich God, he can't give poorly. No, No, he's a rich God. But don't put your trust in uncertain riches. But put your trust in the living God. God is full of grace. But it is our sense of richness that keeps us from experiencing the richness of his mercy. Okay, God is full. He's rich in grace. But because we are rich, we don't experience the richness of His mercy. And you'll always see through the Gospels, most of the people who cry out for mercy are poor people. Jesus, son of David, they're all poor people. And if ever a rich man has to come and fall at His feet, He has to be brought to that point where His riches is of no use. Whether it is a JRS or a Roman centurion, when their riches is not going to work for them, at that point the rich man will fall it. But as long as his richness will work for him, his riches will work for him. He doesn't come. He doesn't come. Okay. So the Shunamite woman is rich, and when you ask her, "What can I do for you? Can I talk to the king? Can I talk to the commander of the army?" She says, "I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm with my people. I'm good." Okay. So what does God usually do? He allows circumstances, situations into our lives. He allows stuff to happen to people who are rich in themselves so that they can become poor. That's why in Matthew 5.3, the first blessing that is pronounced from the Sermon on the Mount is, Blessed are the poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the first blessing. Poverty of the spirit. Look, of course, we'll say poor itself without spirit also bringing over there. Okay. Okay. So, how does this woman teach us? How to reconcile James chapter 2 verse 5 and the riches of God? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to those who love Him? So God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. But what happens if you are rich? What do you do? I mean, he didn't tell everybody except one guy who put, he was clinging to his, this thing. he didn't ask everybody to leave their riches and follow him. Most of the people in the Old Testament, they were all rich people. Right? So how do you reconcile this? How do you reconcile this? First Timothy chapter 6 again, verses 17 to 19. Okay. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in living God, in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Look at verse 18 and 19. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works. He says, God has given you riches, but the riches are His. The gold and the silver are His. The whole earth and everything in it is So you and I own nothing. We only hold it in what you call, as stewards, in stewardship. In trust, it all belongs to him. So he says, if you are rich in this world, be rich in good works. Use your riches for the kingdom, for the king. Ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He says, you know what, you can use your riches here so that you store riches up in heaven. Okay, and that's what the Shunammite woman is doing. Okay, that's what she is doing. Luke chapter 16 and verse 11. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you or trust true riches? So there are two things. There are riches in this world and there are true riches. The riches in this world is, it's fleeting. It's not true. It's uncertain, it's uncertain, it is deceitful, and it is not true. Because when you come into eternity, everything that we hold as rich here will have no meaning. What are you going to do with gold in heaven? What are you going to do with silver? These currency notes won't be even there. (laughs) What is that we think about, you know? Like your expensive suit or expensive dressing. What are you going to do there in heaven? When you're going to be, everybody will be looking at each other's glory and your clothes won't matter. Everything that we consider has valuable rich which money can buy, no? Everything all will be absolutely irrelevant in eternity. That's what he's talking about. Okay. Riches on earth are not true, but there is something that is true riches. So what are true riches? What are true riches? Let's look at a few, okay, so that we experience. True riches, if you have rich, God has blessed you with money. If you use the money wisely, like the Shinnamite woman who has no need but goes out of her way to build a place for the prophetic and furnish it. She's using her own money to build an upper portion to furnish it so the prophetic can rest and feeds him regularly whenever she was not satisfied with feeding him or his servants or maybe somebody else with him. She wants a place also. So she's using her money. Okay, she's using her money. And the prophetic has a place to rest in her house. And when she does it, the impossible in her life becomes possible. Okay, because remember the principle, God is no man's debtor. So what is true riches? Romans 2, 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? You see, the poor who walk by faith, experience daily the richness of his goodness. The rich man does not. rich man does not. Because he's got enough money to buy. So he does not experience in so many ways the hand of God in his life like the one who's rich in faith. Maybe poor material, but rich in faith. He does not experience the riches of his goodness, the riches of his forbearance, the riches of his long-suffering. Not knowing the goodness of God leads you to, there is this goodness of God, the riches of His goodness. Okay. Romans 9, 23. And He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, the riches of His glory. Oh, that day we will, we will all be so, ah, this is what I should have run for. The riches, because You see, in an instant, everybody will know who are the sons of God because glory will differentiate everybody. What is inside will come out of them. Okay. The riches of His glory. Okay. That's the Christ in us. Romans 11.33. I'm just giving you a few. 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You know the amount of time and resources that is spent in gathering knowledge? <laughs> okay? Gathering knowledge. But how much do people spend to gather the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God? Okay? The riches. Ephesians 1-7. And then 3-8. If we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. We have experienced only one few tablespoons of his grace so far. His grace is immeasurable. It's like the ocean. Do we understand that Jesus came full of grace? The Bible says out of his grace we have received blessing after blessing after blessing. Do we really know the riches of His grace? The entire new creation is a reflection of the riches of His grace. Okay. And God says, this is true riches. Do we understand the riches of His goodness? The riches of His glory? The riches of His wisdom and knowledge of God? The riches of His grace? And Ephesians 3, 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know what happens? The riches of this world, the, 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 the wealth of this world deceives us from not searching for what is real. Searching is for real. It doesn't have to, but most people get trapped in this. Most people get trapped in this. You don't have to. Like all the men like Job and all. The test was that. And Job's wife got into that trap, but Job did not. Job did not. Okay. So we see this lady over here in whom this is reconciled. Okay. That's what Paul actually means. When I am weak, then I am strong. Okay. You need to understand that this fundamental principle. God is able to touch us only when we, where we are weak. Only where we are weak. Okay. He's able to minister to us only where we are weak. Otherwise, he'll make us weak. And he's willing to wait. He's willing to, see, he has no issues with time. When people are very strong, like Moses, he's willing to wait 40 years. So the whole nation is crying when God said, I got a man to set you free. But he's too strong. Too strong. Full of Egypt in speech and wisdom and knowledge, and it is too strong. I'm waiting for him to become weak. Then I can speak to him. He's not ready. Forty years it took God to be able to speak to Moses. And the fortieth year in the desert, he spoke to him. And from there is a revelation to Moses about the richness of God. Okay, And that, that's the issue. That's the issue. Even with Jacob, we know that very well. No? Jacob is so strong. A strong will. He's fearful about his enemies, but very strong-willed. Somebody being fearful does not mean that he or she is not strong-willed. Okay, strong-willed okay. children are very scared of ghosts and all, but they want not obey their parents. One doesn't cancel the other out. They can be very, very strong-willed. Okay, very. Strong. And Jacob is a very strong-willed man. That's why God has to break him, literally, physically. That he will limp all the days of his life, and even his last blessing is leaning on God's staff. Why is he leaning on? Okay. We will think, why is he leaning? Because that still hurts. Okay, so he's leaning on God now because God had to break him, and we need to understand that's what God is talking about. So we will see that if you notice the women. Of faith in the in the in the Bible, the women of faith in the Bible. Everybody was almost everyone was barren. Everyone was barren. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Elizabeth, like all these were barren, and these are f- very important women because they all are birthing important kids. Okay, why are they all uh, barren? Because you know what? The pride of a woman in those ages is to bring forth. Children, especially male children, who will continue the line. Okay, so you know what? If God had to speak to them, He had to make them weak in that area. Still, they tried with concubines. You know how strong-willed they were, passing on concubines to their husbands. Okay, you, understand, you need to understand how we are saying, Lord, why don't you deal with me? God says, I want to, but you're too strong. Whether you are a man or a woman, you are too strong. Okay. So if you look at the Bible, the Bible says, so you don't have to be politically correct. The Bible says the woman is a weaker vessel of male and female. The woman is a weaker vessel. The Bible says that. But if you look at Hebrews 11 and verse uh, 35, the Bible says, women received the dead raised to life again. Did you see that? The women received. And you will see that in almost all, most of the cases of the dead coming back, there are women involved. Elijah's widow, the Shunammite woman, okay, and go through the Bible. It's Jairus' daughter or Lazarus' two sisters. It's women who are involved. Okay. And remember, resurrection is the greatest miracle of all greatest miracle of all. And in most of the cases you will see over there, the woman is involved in it. The widow at Okay, you'll see. Why is it so? Because she is the weaker vessel. And she is afflicted. She is afflicted by death more than man. Afflicted by death by more than man. And therefore God is able to Bring forth life using a woman there than a man. Than a man. Okay. Because look in the old days. Sarah died. Abraham took a Torah. But Abraham had died. Sarah would have removed a widow all her life. Okay? Understand the difference. Okay, so you will always see this. The Bible is here. Women. It doesn't say men receive the dead to life again. It says women receive the dead raised to life again. You know why? Because the weaker vessel, to be weaker in the kingdom of God, is not bad. If you lean on to God, the weaker vessel has more faith, leans on to God, and receives even the dead back to life. Because so they're not putting their trust. In anything but on God. And we saw last Saturday how the Shunamite woman gets a dead child back. Well, the father doesn't even go. He doesn't even ask. He doesn't even ask. How is the boy? My head, my head takes the mother. And the boy is dead. And she says, saddle me. And he says, where are you going now? He says, it's well. He doesn't even ask about the boy. He doesn't even ask about the boy. So we have the faith of the Shunamite woman. She is rich in wealth, she is rich in faith, and she is rich in good works. This is the combination God wants to give us. And we have to understand, one, the deceitful nature of wealth. We do not put our trust in riches. Three, if we have been given riches, we have to be very sure we are not only rich in wealth, we are rich even more in good works good works. That's where the Shunammite woman is and that's why she's not even named. She's put across as a real person in history but saying that anybody can be like her. Okay. So verse chapter 4 and verse 10. Kings. So keeping that picture in mind of this woman who had wealth, who had no need in her life, when God had to come and meet her. He had to meet her at a place where she was poor. And her riches could not do anything. All her wealth could not bring forth a child. In that area she was poor. And that's, that's the only area where God can come and meet her. Okay, so remember, when God meets us, He will meet us in that area where we can do nothing. Can do nothing. As long we can do something about it and we are doing something about it, God will stand apart and watch. He won't do anything. Okay? But that's how grace works. Grace, you cannot add anything to it. You are saved by grace and grace alone. You cannot be saved by grace and anything else. And everything that God does in our life is through grace. And if grace has to work in my life, I have to be very sure that I'm not adding anything to it. That's where our struggle comes. In this woman's, she's got everything. But she doesn't have one thing. That is, she doesn't have a child. And she has closed that chapter. Because she's so reliant on getting things. She's a good lady, not a bad lady. Okay, she's not a bad lady. But she's so used to getting everything done because she has money and she has got influence. Okay, money and influence. She does not even think about this. Okay, but God comes and meets her. That's why she said, don't deceive me. Don't deceive me. Right? Isn't that what she says? Don't deceive me. What does it she means? Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, basically saying that don't deceive me. Why does she say that? Because she has not been deceived by the deceitfulness of wealth. Okay. Okay, deceitfulness of wealth. If, you no, know, do not lie to your maid servant. Basically he's saying, don't give me false hope, don't deceive me. Okay, don't give me this thing. But God meets her at that point, because that's one thing she cannot do. And he meets her. And always, you no, know, we'll need to realize, you no, know, that one thing which we are not able to do, if God is not meeting us there, it is because it hasn't become so important to us yet. It's somewhere lower down in the category. No, God will not meet our need five, need six, and all. When six becomes one, he will meet us. Okay? And here in this case, he meets because she does something for him. She invites his presence into our house. Let's go there. Okay? So, like I said, we do not only make room for the prophetic, the living voice of God. We also need to furnish it. Okay? There is a divine order. The first thing that is mentioned over there is, let us make a small upper room on the wall. We looked at it, the upper room. So many things in the Bible happens in the upper room. Let us put a bed for him there. The first thing, a piece of furniture that is put over there is bed. And we know bed symbolizes rest. It Symbolizes rest. So the first thing before God can speak to us, either show us our shortcomings or show us where he can meet us at our point of need, the first thing we need to understand is that, do I have a bed? Have I furnished my upper room with a bed? Turn with me to Matthew eleven twenty-eight and 29. There are two kinds of rest. Okay. Come to me, all you labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is a gift. This is a gift. The first one is a gift. The second one is a discovery. The first one, you come burdened by the weight of sin. You come to him, God gives us rest. We can't do anything about it. We just go to him, fall at his feet for mercy, and he takes away the burden of guilt, forgives us, cleanses us, and gives us rest. The second one is a journey. It's a journey. It's it's a process. It doesn't happen in one day. We learn to take his yoke. We learn to walk with him. We learn to obey him. We learn to agree with him. It's a process. So there are two rests over his. One is a gift. The other we discover as we walk with Jesus. We learn to walk in rest. The first rest we received at the foot of the cross. Like I said, today is Passover. This evening we received at Colossians 1 and verse 20. How did we receive that rest? One twenty, And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having me made peace, very carefully worded sentence, peace through the blood of his cross. Remember, God did not make peace through the cross. God did not make peace through the blood. He made peace through the blood of his cross. Because many, like I said, thousands of people have died on the cross without no effect on humanity. Okay, thousands. Only Jesus' death on the cross has done something for man, has brought reconciliation and peace. And Jesus' shedding of his blood but his blood had to be shed on the cross because the prophecy, had the word of God cannot be broken. Cursed is the man who hangs upon the cross. But he not only had to hang, he also had to bleed because blood was, in Leviticus says, was offered as atonement because the life of the creature is in the, in the blood. So Jesus' life was being offered on the cross and God made peace through the blood of his cross. That's the first rest. Come to me. Come to me. Okay, So we are not ashamed to preach about the blood. We are not ashamed. People will think, why are these people singing about blood, blood? We are the only set of people, Christians, believing Christians, are the only set of people who will sing about the blood. You will see nobody anywhere singing about the blood. We are the only set of people who will boast about the cross and glorify about the cross of Jesus Christ, which is basically the executioner's chair. Nobody would sing about those things. What is the cross? It is the executioner's, hangman's, this thing. Okay? And that's what we sing about. Why? Because we know our rest comes from that. So this is first rest God is talking about. When you have made an upper chamber for me, where you want me to dwell with you, and you want to hear my prophetic voice, my living voice, you need to be at rest. One rest is the rest by coming to him and pleading the blood and believing in the blood and that. Burden is gone. And second, continuously walking in that rest. That's what the bed symbolizes. Bed is where you go to rest. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. But if you do not have that rest, the nature is this. Isaiah 57 verses 20 to 21. 57 and verses 20 and 21. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose water is cast of mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. See, the the bed symbolizes rest. You could be multi billionaire with the best comfortable bed and its trappings that money could ever buy. Okay. And your room is at the ambient temperature suited for your body. You have everything, but you don't get rest. You don't get rest. God says, I give my beloved rest. I give my beloved rest. And he says, the oh, wicked are like troubled sea. They cannot, it cannot rest. They cannot rest. There is no peace. No rest, no peace. No rest, no peace. That's why they have to be on drugs to fall asleep. Okay. You got everything, but you have no rest. You have no peace. Okay. So we need to understand these are things which you have to be very, very careful about. Okay. Because the bed, symbolically the bed is used. Okay. Bed used for rest. And it's a place of rest from the burden of sin because wages of sin has never changed. It is still the same. Okay. And God can cast you also into a bed you don't want to be in Revelation chapter 2 verses 21 to 23 if you go into the world and you are going to going to be with the world I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not repent this is to her church indeed I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds and I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. If you go to verse 22, what is that? There is something called a sick We're not talking about physical sickness. Not just that alone. Physical sickness can be cured. There are other sicknesses worse than that. He says, you know what? If you who were called out of the world and separated out of the world, you go back to the world. I said there are two ways you can commit adultery. Okay, We were wedded to the law. We are wedded to the law. So the only way we could get married to Christ Jesus was to die to the law. The law is not going to die. So I had to die to the law. That's in baptism, I died to the law. So after being wedded to Christ or engaged to Christ, I go back to the law. Like there's a whole part of the church which has gone back to the law. They're celebrating all the Jewish festivals and everything and all. Remembering them and understanding them deep meaning is fine, but going the Jewish way, you're going back to the law, you're committing adultery. You have forsaken and gone back to your old husband. Gone back to your old husband. Okay, and you see these are the reasons symbolically the old covenant banned it. A man divorces his wife, and he, later she goes back to him. The Lord did, but, uh, did not allow it. So what's the problem? The problem is because all this symbolizes something in the new covenant. You cannot go back to the law in the same way. When we're baptized, we are saved from the world. You can go back to the world. The two ditches on both sides, and he says, when you do that, you know what? I will cast you to bed. Okay? Can I have Can I? Can I have an ivy? An ivy puts it in a little, little different shade. I will cast on her a bed of suffering. A bed of affliction. Bed of affliction. Hmm? You will see cast on. How do you know? There are Christians who have no rest at all. They're Christians. They're born again. They're believers. They have no rest at all. No rest at all. Stop, because God has cast them into a bed of affliction. Okay? So there is a bed of rest and there is a bed of affliction. We are talking about people within the body of Christ, because this is written to the body of Christ. In Psalm 41, verses 1 to 3. 41, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Okay, so she's blessed. For she looks and says, Oh, poor man, he seems to be going up and down, up and you know how the prophets, you know how Elijah was. They have though they usually don't even have one Jola. One bag they may have, that which Gehasi will carry, that's all they have, okay? Poor man, he must be hungry, no? Okay. Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in the time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. Verse 3. The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his Mm sickbed. Sickness can come to both categories, but God says, you know what? I will strengthen him on his bed of illness and I will sustain him on his sick bed. I will not cast him into the bed of affliction. Sickness may come, but in his sick bed, I will sustain him. And his bed of illness, I will strengthen him. You know why? Because he showed mercy to the poor. He did not, he was not deceived by his wealth. He was not deceived by his wealth. Instead, he used his wealth. He was a good steward of his wealth. Okay, and therefore even in his sick bed, he has rest. His sick bed, he has rest. He's not lying there panicking. He knows I will not die, but I shall live and declare the works of the Lord. So his sick bed also, he has rest. Anybody can fall sick. The question is when you are sick, have you lost your rest? Okay, on the other side, God has cast them into a bed of affliction. On this side in the sick bed, okay? I will cast you into a sick bed is what N- NKJV said. Other hand here in the sick bed he is being sustained and he is being strengthened. So we need to understand what rest means or what the bed means. Okay? Second thing, what rest Romans eight verses one and two. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. What does the Bible say? It says, you know what? You have rest from condemnation. Hmm? Condemnation. You cannot escape. A lot of people do a lot of stuff in the house just because they are feeling and that's an escape route. Escape. You need to understand why do people do what they do why do they drink why are they on drugs why do they watch movies with on and end why do why do they go shopping all these allicks whatever not horlicks okay whatever you are into is basically to escape guilt and condemnation escape no because if you... If they sit still for 10 or 15 minutes and where to start thinking, they will become restless. So they have to keep themselves busy, 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 busy. Honestly, simply telling, they cannot enjoy anything. The only thing they can enjoy is their addiction. Mm -hmm. But that is to escape condemnation. They are simply like uh, Lady Macbeth. She has got everything. She got the kingdom also. Okay, and nobody's condemning her. She's condemning herself. All the perfumes of blood, 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 blood. It's nothing. One spot, okay. Condemnation. And you need to realize guilt and condemnation is what weighs people down. And God doesn't want us to walk like that. Live like that. The first thing He offers is that, you know what, you don't have to walk under condemnation. He gives you rest from condemnation. Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and man. He says, no condemnation. I live without condemnation, before God or before man. So, see, we need to look at these people and understand how could they function like this. They could be, they could be beaten and chained and thrown into the desert, in the wilderness, in the sea. But they are always under arrest, you know what? Because they had never condemnation. They were never condemned. They knew they were right with God and they were right with man. They were right with God and right with man. So they had the rest, which God promised. That's the rest, ongoing rest, the second rest as you walk with Jesus. Every day as you walk with Jesus, you put things right. You put things right. Okay? You put things right with God. Second, the third thing, you have rest from labor. Remember, labor is a curse. It was a curse that came after the fall. Labor from curse, and people still function under that curse. Okay, there are there are curses that are pronounced. There's a curse that is pronounced over marriage. I shall make for him a mate. Okay, a helpmate. They were supposed to complement together, each other, and the fivefold blessing they should be partaking and doing it together. But after the fall, they were cursed. Your desire shall be for your husband. And he shall, but he shall rule over you. The compliment, they were supposed to complement each other became competition and you have all the misery of marriage based because of that curse. The most miserable institution on planet earth is marriage. Why? Because of the curse. The only way you can come out of it is by coming out of the curse. Coming out of the curse. Second next thing that is cursed is work is cursed. Work was fun. Okay, I'll put this on. You wanna put the AC on? And if you don't want to be under the vent, come sit that settle. I'm and I'll sit on this side if you don't want to be under the vent. So we shall be generous to both what? Righteous to both. Okay. Okay. Is the sound too low, Sammy? I can increase my volume. Yeah, okay. It's, an it's okay? Anne? Can you can hear? Okay. Okay, so you need to understand why these things happen. That's why I said Genesis is such an important book, because Genesis means origins, the beginning of everything, the beginning of the fall, the beginning of redemption, everything is there in the first three chapters of Genesis. First three chapters gives you everything. And if you don't understand it, and you understand what Christ did, the promise of the Passover lamb also is there in this thing. Everything is there in Genesis. One, two, three, the beginning of everything. So if you don't understand it, we don't know how to fight it and overcome it. So one of the things that is cursed is work. Work becomes labor. Okay. So we call them labor force. (laughs) Okay. We call them laborers. Right. There's a difference. What is labor for a believer when he is working for God? It's labor. Because nobody can work for God. Okay. It becomes labor. Unless you allow God to work through you. That is the only thing God accepts. A lot of people labor. Because they are working for God. Nothing they do is per se bad. But they labor. They labor. You are working for God. Instead of allowing God to work through you. When you learn to allow God to work through you, suddenly it becomes work and you have rest. Okay? Let's turn to the important portion. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 to 11. 4, 9 to 11. There remains, therefore, rest for the people of God. So God first calls us to rest. Okay, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from him. So what is the first thing we do? We stopped working. Working. And verse 11, what should we do? Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Okay, so God does not ask us to work first. He asks us to rest first. And then work. We have heard this so many times, but it does not matter how many times we hear it, unless we practice, we still will be laboring. Let me show you the difference. What is? How do you spiritually get this principle? Turn with me to First Corinthians chapter six, words uh, three, verse uh, six and seven. Chapter three, six and seven. I planted; that is work. Apollos watered; that is work. But God gives the increase. Then neither he who plants is anything, nor he waters, but God who gives the increase. What does it mean? What does it simply mean? I am only responsible for the work. I am not responsible for the result. God is not like your company. Not like your company. We were only called to be faithful and not successful. See, so understand. We were only called to be... The, the, the company doesn't want you to be faithful. They want you to be successful. And they don't care how you become successful. God has never said. He does not say, well done, my good and successful servant. He doesn't say that. because success is going to be determined there. Then only we will know whether we were successful or not. This is a fundamental problem. You know why we labor? Because we labor because we have brought in the paradigm of success into it. The world paradigm of success into it. Even in ministry, if you don't have a crowd, you're not successful. And Jesus is ministering to a Samaritan woman all alone. And would you call him successful? No, he's faithful. He's in rest. He's woken up in the morning. He spent time with his father. The Holy Spirit says, go to Samaria today. I've got somebody for you there. He's just being faithful. Just being faithful. Because he's operating every day from rest. Every day from rest. He's got an entire town gathered at the house where he was staying. Everybody has brought the sick, the oppressed, everybody. And then here's in the morning, early morning, he wakes up, he prays, and hears his father says, go to another town and teach. Now, if he goes there, he's successful. But if he goes to the next town, he's faithful. And this is our fundamental issue. We have got in the worldly paradigm, and we are always trying to be successful at the cost of being faithful. And Paul understands that. He said, I planted." Apollo's waters, but God gives the increase. You know, when he is dying, all of Asia has turned away from him. And almost all his disciples have abandoned him. But you know what? Till the end, he is faithful. And in Second Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have kept the faith. What does it mean? I have kept the faith. He says, I was faithful. I was faithful. And you know what? Today, he's the most successful person ever God raised on earth the church is literally built on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the teachings of God through Paul. He was faithful. In his day, he was not successful. So please do not look at the successful preachers or any successful people today on planet Earth. They may turn out like they were unfaithful. Unfaithful. All we are called is to be true to the word of God and true to the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's all God asks. That is the rest we get from our labor. Because people will come and say, wow, what a ministry, great. None of those things really matter. The only thing that matters is what did God say. His own son God said twice, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's the only thing that matters. And without faith it is impossible to please God. So we need to get this the rest from labor. Rest from labor. We need to enter into that rest world. All I have to be is faithful, Lord. Let help, allow me to hear every day, Lord. And I, like I said, the first thing of hearing from God, there is a written word of God that is logos. She could have a scroll. She's a rich woman. Maybe she had a copy. Maybe she spent money and got somebody to a scribe because there were scribes everywhere and scribes sold this thing. Maybe she had a copy, but that does not, that does not replace the living voice of God. It does not. It still cannot meet that need in her life. It cannot make the impossible possible because we have the written word of God but it's the living word of God that makes the impossible possible. And that is for what she made room. That is what she invested her money in. She had to move. She had to change. The other question we ask is that if you want to build an upper room like you go up to the terrace you will see there are pillars there. Meaning if you need to build one more story, you can build. What does it mean? It means the foundation is strong. If the builder had not planned that one time in future, I want to because there are a lot of houses which was not built that way. So if you want to build, he has to go break the whole thing down. Yes. Because the foundations were in strong. Okay? Foundations were very strong. The foundations were very weak, then you cannot build an upper room. Her foundations were strong, therefore she could build an upper room. The question is, how strong is our foundation for the Holy Spirit to bring His weight upon us? We say, Lord, and God says, I want to too. For a fraction of a second, Jesus revealed His glory, and apostles fell flat on their face. He just showed them what He is really like, meaning all those years He covered Himself. He never showed Him the true weight of His glory because He couldn't handle it. When they came to arrest him, and he said, "Which who among you is Jesus?" is "I am." The whole crowd fell flat on his face. He just used the word God had told Moses on at the mountain, "I am that I am," and they fell. So it just for a fraction of how many how many seconds does it take to say "I am," <laughs> and they fell flat. Okay, meaning God never reveals His glory to us because our foundations are weak. We say, "Lord, come, Lord, oh Lord, come." God says, "I know I want to come, but I cannot. You know why? Because you'd collapse under the weight." It would collapse under the weight. This woman's foundations were strong, therefore she could build an upper room. Upper room. And these are foundational things we need to realize. Do I have the rest of God? Is that the first thing I seek in the morning, early in the morning when we rise? What is the first thing we are seeking? Am I seeking rest? No. No, I thought it is the other way. All through the night you sleep, rest in the morning, you get up to work. No, you just woke up early in the morning to rest. He woke up early in the morning to enter into his father's rest. And then he heard, so that he never labored. He never labored. That's what the Bible is talking about. Like I said, we were not called to be successful. We are called to be faithful. In the process, if we are successful, and the world acknowledges we are successful, praise be to God. But that is never the criteria. Never the criteria. Otherwise, we will go into this dog-eat-dog dog mad race in this world. Everybody going up the ladder is pushing the other fellow down. No. By the time he reaches the top, there is only one rung. All the other rungs are broken. Now he doesn't know how to come down. <laughs> you know? it's, a very, it's, a very, it's a very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing. And this is what happens. Like if you look at the condition of our country, there are only two leaders. If you ask what are the names of the CMs in all the states controlled by nobody knows. Only two leaders. Everywhere they run around. If they both fall ill, what will happen? (laughs) You know this this is this is not how it works. This is not how it works. Okay, this is not how it works. Okay. So we, we we need to understand how we are not called to be successful. Okay. God will make us. I'm not saying God will not make us successful. He says, you shall be prosperous and successful wherever you go, told Joshua. On one condition, don't go to the left or the right. Stick to my word, mm-hmm. meditate upon it, and don't let it depart from your mouth. Okay, when you speak, let it be the voice of my Holy Spirit. When you speak, it should be Rima. It should be Logos. Okay, and you will see he learns a lesson and he becomes successful at the end. Exodus 33, verses 13 and 14. Okay, Exodus 33, 13 and 14. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. This is Moses praying to God. He said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. He gives you rest. This was the most faithful man in the Old Covenant. Not the most successful man. Not the most successful man. Because why? He could not take anybody in. So he was not successful. But he was faithful. And the writer of Hebrews says he was the most faithful. He was in the house of God as a servant. He was the most faithful. But if you look at him, he himself could not enter into the promised land. So was he successful? No. 600,000 men, women and children he brought out, of which only two men made it onto the other side. All the others, nine hundred ninety-nine had perished in the wilderness, including him. So was he successful? No. But was he faithful? Yes. He was faithful. And what did he have through it all? He had rest. He had rest. Okay. He had rest. And that's what God is talking about. He had rest. Okay, We have to get that into our heads. If we don't get that out of our heads, we will run like the world does. And we will wonder, Lord, why am I restless, Lord? Why am I restless? Because this is this gospel that has been preached. Which basically is the world packaged in Christian terms. Yes. Where if you have to be, if you are approved of God, then you need to have all these things into your life. And it's not true. It is not true. When Jesus died on the cross, he died alone. Nobody believed. On the day when he rose from the dead, nobody was there by the tomb. Nobody believed. They were all good men and women. Let us say all the apostles were good men. His mother was a good lady. All these women also were good women. Even Mary who came there, she came to anoint the dead body. Let us be honest about it. Nobody believed in him. The most, they may have believed for me. See, it doesn't matter what you believe in here. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you are doomed. What you need, I need to do to believe is in that, you know what? Jesus lived a righteous life. Hallelujah. Jesus died on the cross. Yes. But if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are still doomed. And you need to realize on resurrection Sunday morning, nobody believed in the resurrection. So it doesn't matter how good they were. They did not believe in the resurrection. And he had kept on telling them, three days, three days, three days, Jonah, three days, I will rise, I will rise. Nobody believed. Nobody believed. So when he died, he died alone. Was he successful? No. When he rose, he rose alone. Nobody to greet him. Was he successful? No. But the Bible says he was faithful. He was faithful. When we are faithful, success will follow us. We may not see it in our lifetime. We may not even see it in our lifetime. Only eternity will show us how successful we were. All the success we see now is worth nothing if it is not counted in eternity. But if we are faithful, then God will consider us successful. Then well done, my good and faithful servant. Take charge of ten cities. Now he's successful. And he's successful forever. Okay. So we need to understand what rest means. The first thing she prepares is a room, upper room. And the foundations are strong. She makes room for the prophetic, for the Holy Spirit to come and live and abide with her and bring all that you can. You can rest. Okay? Remember, this is not a person resting in God. This is God resting in a person. These are two different things. Two different things. This is God. All of us look to find rest in God and we should. But God is also looking for a person in whom he can find rest. She's got everything and she's preparing a place for the prophetic to rest in her house. You go through the Bible. Where do you see this picture? Hardly anywhere. Okay. Hardly anywhere. And one place Jesus found rest was at Bethany, one house he could go. Okay. Good. Mary would be rested at his feet, and Martha he can scold her, but she'll still continue cooking. That way, it's okay. Martha's a good lady. Okay, you can scold her, no problem. And next time you come, she's still cooking. Okay, now she doesn't scold him, and he doesn't scold her. Okay, but he's addressed in that house. Okay, he's addressed in that house. Okay, the next thing, third thing, you cannot have rest <coughs> unless you are willing to fight. We are in a war. I have fought the good fight of faith. It's a very spiritual war. We are fighting powers of darkness day in and day out. And that rest is a result of war. And the pictures are there in the Old Covenant. Joshua chapter 11, verse 23. And then fourteen, fifteen. So Joshua took the whole land according to all the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to the divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. So they had rest from war. But they did not have rest before war. If you don't war, then you will not have rest. So the first generation could say that we did not fight. Yes, but you didn't possess either. You wandered in the wilderness. What do you ha- eat? The same thing. What do you drink? The same thing. What do you wear? The same thing. What's on your feet? The same thing. Well, are you going anywhere? Nowhere. Are all the promises yours? Yes. Have you fulfilled one promise? No. Why? Because you are not willing to fight a single battle. So there is a rest that comes after war. 1415 and 2144. In the name of Hebron. Okay. Then the land had rest from war. <coughs> okay and 2144 the lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers not a man of all their enemies stood against them and the lord delivered all their enemies into their hand okay so the bible talks about it there is a rest god promises his people the bible says if joshua had given them rest if you go to hebrews uh, 4 yeah we don't have to go there okay it's okay if joshua had given them rest god would not have talked about another day what joshua gave them was a physical rest the old covenant you had to have all your enemies under your feet then you had rest in the new covenant we are given a greater rest we have given power and authority to keep all our spiritual enemies under our feet. Our feet. Okay? Our feet. And that's what we need to realize under our feet. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions, and they shall by no means harm you. know, Okay? We rule over powers of darkness. They don't rule over us. They don't rule over us. And you know what happens? You have rest. So it doesn't matter what your physical situation is. You could be in prison. You could be beaten. You could be flogged. You could be hungry. You could be naked. All these things are there. Paul went through all of it. But the enemy was always under his feet. You couldn't get him to do anything contrary to his fate. Mm. The whole idea is the devil uses these things to stop us. Stop us. You know, Will sickness stop us? No. Sickness won't stop us from praying. Sickness is not going to stop us from preaching. Then the devil is over us. Can sickness come to a believer and unbeliever? Yes. It can come on anybody. But the question is, how do you deal with your sickness? How do you respond in your sickness? Does your praise go out? Does your proclamation go out? Does your prayer stop? That's the thing God is talking about. Because what the devil does, God allows. But intention is different. Intention is different. That's what James says in 112, if I'm right. Right? 112, if I'm right. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. No? We have to be approved. Okay? So, rest comes only after war. So you see, the bed is there. The bed is there. The first piece of furniture she puts in. First thing which you, we furnish that upper room is that we see that we have rest. Rest with God. And a continuous rest. Rest from condemnation. Right? Rest from labor. Don't get into this rat race. Don't get in. I'm honestly telling you, don't get into this rat race. And when compliment, people compliment about your work, take it one, one year and take it, don't put it on your profile. You know what will happen? You yourself will be now running after adulation. You, unnecessary pressure comes upon you. You put, God didn't put it on you. You did it. God didn't put it on you. Oh, last time when I did, five people put thumbs up. Next time, seven people. Now it's going up. Now you have to, you have to keep on. How many people are listening? How many people are watching? How many people? Who cares? The only thing that matters is, am I watching? Am I watching? We put pressure on ourselves. You know? And social media unnecessarily puts, brings pressure. That's why we don't want to be on social media. This is one thing this pandemic did. We were never seen. And I still don't like it. Still don't like it. okay? Because I, we don't want to be seen. We don't want to be seen. Okay? Unnecessary attention it brings. You know? Unnecessary attention. Thank God uh, t- this live streaming came and traveling also stopped. Earlier when I used to travel, people used to recognize me by my voice. Ah, you are that person I listened to you. Oh, you look like I thought you were so tall and big. I didn't realize you were so small. They only recognized my voice. Some people have voice recognition software in their heads, you no? Know, so they recognize. <laughs> but now it is more difficult because they see your face. <laughs> hmm? no, we don't want to be recognized. It is not, n- because you know what? Every compliment you receive is taking credit before the actual judgment. Okay? Actual judgment. Day of judgment is not come yet. On that day you will realize whether you are worthy or not. And you have this head full of crowns received on earth and end up bareheaded over there. Okay? You don't want that. You don't want that. So you need to realize there is a rest God has promised. Rest. Any man who enters into God's rest ceases from his works. I don't have to do anything which God doesn't want me to do. I am good. I am fine. Okay? And then, the first condition, remember, is that rest. 2nd Kings chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. When the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Verse 16, so answer, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Why is the difference? Because Elisha is in a point of rest. Therefore, he's not afraid. He's not able to see what Gehazi is not able to see. Okay, Why is that the first piece put is rest? It is only when we are in the position of rest, God can speak to us and show us things. If you are shaken, if you are restless, if you are fearful, God, however much he loves us and wants to speak to us, he's not able to speak to us. First, he says, calm your nerves. A lot of people says, I want to hear. But why are they not able to hear? Why is They both probably were in the same room. They both probably slept the same hour. Ghazi woke up and went out. Alicia is in rest. What is this? What is the difference? Two people in the same house. Both woke up. One went to Facebook. The other went to the book. (laughs) The one in Facebook is troubled. Went to the news channel. It is troubled. Which news gives you good news? There is only one news which is called good news. That people don't read. Every other news channel they read. And you know what? Alas! My master, master, alas! (laughs) (laughs) The man who has put his face in the good news, he says it does not matter. What does he say? More is with us than are with them. Isn't that true? More with us. The angelic host that surrounds us, that is at our disposal, That God watching over us in life and in death. He watches over us. But are we able to have it? So we need to realize there is a position. Rest is a spiritual position. If we want to hear, if we want to see, and if we want to be stand there unshakable, immobile, when things will get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse, there is a position determined by God. It's a position of rest. And that's what the bed signifies. Okay, if you turn me to chapter 7, verse 1 and 2. Same prophet. Okay. Elisha said hear the word of the Lord thus says the Lord tomorrow about this time a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel two seers of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria and who is there? an officer on the hand the king is there the officer is there a lot of people are there answered the man of God and said look if the Lord would make windows in heaven could this thing be? and he said in fact you shall see it with your eyes but you shall not eat of it they are come to discuss a great problem the city is under siege everybody is eating pigeon poop And a donkey's head. There's no food. They are starving. The prophet of God is cool. He's at rest. In the midst of war, in the previous chapter, in the midst of famine, he sees, he hears. He says, tomorrow this time, this is what will happen. Because you can only operate for God, work for God, hear from God, function for God from a position of rest. Position of rest. Now We are not looking at the three items. We are only looking at one item today. The other three, we will leave for another week's the weeks to come. But this is the first thing. First thing God is talking about. So, when God is talking to us, in that upper room, God says, be at rest. Note this. This may sound like arrogance to the unbeliever or the nominal believer. Elisha's words will sound like arrogance. Okay, It may sound like Arrogance, But that's what it it means. And God is resting in you. He has a dwelling place. And you are at rest. Rest. He has a dwelling place. As I close, two verses. Luke chapter 4, verses 21, 22. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, not uh, 4. I think it's two. One second, just give me, give me a second. Me and my numbers. Three, three. Three, twenty-one, twenty-two. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized and while he prayed, the heaven was opened. Okay? And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. Remember, the Holy Spirit, we have so many pictures of the Holy Spirit in the bible fire and wind and earthquake every form different scheme but the only person hmm. on whom it came as a Tao is jesus okay because only in him he could find rest that's why the dove is a very <laughs> it will go away okay only on him the holy spirit could find rest Now, he's not finding rest in the Holy Spirit, which he has, but the Holy Spirit is finding rest in him. Okay? Like I said, these are two different things. We need to find our rest in God, yes. But God needs to find his rest in us. That takes us to a different level. Look at Genesis chapter 8, 8 and 9. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. is Noah's ark. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. You know what? It will talk this as symbolic of baptism too. We have been baptized in water, but we did not die in the water. So the dove does not find rest in us. We are still alive. We went under the water, but the dove does not find rest in us because we are still alive to the flesh, alive to the world. Therefore, he doesn't find rest in us. So he gives us rest, but he doesn't find rest in us. The first time the dove found rest is when he came upon Jesus. There is no flesh. There is no world. Nothing. And the dove came upon in bodily form. He had rest. Even on the disciples on the day of Pentecost, when he had to come, he had to come as fire. Not as dove. As dove. As dove. So there is a rest. God has promised his people. There is a rest. The Bible says the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And if this dove is a representative of the Holy Spirit, the dove had to wait another few thousand years. When did she find rest? It was when Jesus came down into the water and came out. And God said, I found one man in whom I can rest. I can rest. That's Jesus. And that's what this woman is doing. God is teaching. These are not randomly written things in the Bible. The scripture is for our edification. The scripture is for our instruction and every word, even the order put over there, like I said, tabernacle people don't even study the tabernacle 50 chapters are devoted entirely to to the tabernacle and why is it so important? It's important because it's all pointing us to Jesus Christ and here it is talking about a woman a Shinnamite woman built an upper room right, an upper room and she said, let us put a bed a table, a chair and a lamp Next week, we shall look at the table. The week after that, we shall look at the chair. Okay? Because why God put it there? So it's not random. If you put it there, it is important. Just because we I I I taught today about the about the bed. Is it exhausted? No. In the days to come, I will keep learning things which I did not even understand today. Because that is you walk with God. That's a walk with God. Because God will reveal to us. Like I said, we cannot handle it. Because our foundations are not strong. There was only one man on whom God could dwell in him in his fullness. That's what the Bible says. Meaning Jesus in the flesh could take the weight of God. Could take the weight of God, the glory of God, the weight of God completely. You know why? Because there was nothing of flesh in him. He says, I see what I, my father does. I speak what he says. There is nothing of me in me. Therefore, God could dwell in him in his fullness. In his fullness. Therefore, he was always at rest. The only time he was restless was in the Garden of Gethsemane, And it was not about the cross. It was not about the pain. It was not about the suffering. It was about sin. It was about sin. Because he is the divine God from eternity, has never known sin. And he knew the next day sin would come upon him. That's why he asked, Father, is there another way? He's not a wuss, he's not afraid of pain or anything of those things like that. He's not that. This is one thing. He knows sin is gonna come upon him. And that's something which he has never in eternity. Second, he knows when that happens, eternity, for the first time, the Trinity will be divided. The father will turn his face away from him. And that's why he's restless and he starts sweating blood. It's the only time. Only time. But he reverts back. In his default setting, not my will, but thy will be done. Not my will, thy will be done. And that's what God is telling us this morning. So this morning, even as we are here and we look to the Lord, else come and pray, no? close in prayer.